Hello and welcome to the third episode of As Yet Unexplained Series 2. It is also the second part of our two-part look at the San Pedro haunting. In this series we will be looking at some of the stories behind some of the most famous mysterious tales of the strange, paranormal and unexplained. This strange and often confusing collection of incidents received a lot of media attention back in the day. A haunting, poltergeist activity, attempted murder and full spectral apparitions are just the tip of the iceberg with this case. But with so many inconsistencies, can we really be sure of its authenticity? If you like what you hear, please consider liking, subscribing or even writing a review on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. The San Pedro Haunting, September the 4th, 1989. It was September the 4th when Barry Conrad received a frantic call from Jackie, telling him that things had really escalated within the home. Objects were flying around, and Jackie was even held down and experienced a smothering sensation. With Barry at the time of the call were his fellow investigators Gary and Jeff Wheatcraft. They all listened to Jackie's pleas for help. At one o'clock the following morning, the team had assembled and made their way to the San Pedro home. On arrival, they found Jackie on the outside porch area with her two children and neighbour Susan. It seems the fear and activity had been so terrible that they were forced to wait outside for the team. Gary and Wheatcraft entered the home and started their sweep with the equipment they had brought whilst Conrad stayed outside with Jackie to reassure her and ask her questions. This story is played with one major problem, and that is no matter how expensive and grand your ghost hunting equipment is, it is vital that it is switched on and doing the job it was designed to do. Throughout this case there are so many missed opportunities because either the camera was not switched on, or as in the case with the first investigation, the cameras were not even taken out of the car. Whilst Conrad was talking to Jackie, he noticed that a strange tailed source of light would suddenly materialise in front of them and then fly through a nearby doorway. This event happened so suddenly that Conrad did not even have enough time to switch on the video camera. Surely a prerequisite if you are interviewing someone regarding their paranormal experiences.
Gary and Wheatcraft's investigations of the home had led them back to the little washing room just off the kitchen, where the attic entrance was located. Wheatcraft had decided to go back up inside the attic, as it had been the source of several paranormal incidents during their last investigation. Throughout these events, a couple of the witnesses were said to have heard a loud snapping noise, not unlike someone clicking their fingers right in front of your face. Barry once again began to film as everyone had made their way into the kitchen and surrounding areas. On Conrad's video, you could clearly see the dark black void that is the open attic hatch, and that is then interrupted by the intense flash from Wheatcraft's camera as he is up there taking photographs. The flashing stops, and after a few heartbeats, the fearful cries of Wheatcraft can be heard. As Jackie stated in an interview, everyone was in their own little groups, talking amongst themselves, until they heard the loud cries coming from within the attic. Came the confused cries from Jeff as he tried to scramble his way on all fours to the attic entrance. His face was pale, confused, and in somewhat of a daze. The moment uh, Gary turned to go towards the trap door, I took one step. After that one step, I don't remember what happened, except I do remember then, all of a sudden, that my neck was tightened, tightened, and brought against the attic rafter. Stated Jeff in an interview that was taken minutes after the incident. When Jeff had finally managed to ease himself out of the attic hatch, it was immediately obvious that something had harmed him physically. Around his neck was a cord, which had been savagely twisted into a knot. This ligature had caused some friction burns, similar to rope burns on his neck. The confused Jeff said to the team on the ground that were trying to help him out of the attic and onto his feet. Oh yeah, Jeff, what happened? Gary was in the attic with Jeff, and as soon as he heard the moans coming from the area that Jeff was in, he took several photographs to aid in the illumination of the area. What he saw startled him and sent him racing to the aid of his friend. Jeff had something wrapped around his neck that was later to be revealed as a piece of clothesline and his whole body had been lifted up so that this clothesline could be hung from a nail that was hammered into the rafter. In effect, Jeff was being slowly hanged by an unseen force. Gary raced to help him by trying to loosen the cord around his throat but couldn't manage it. Eventually, he managed to free his friend by bending up the nail that the ligature was hung from. Jeff has always maintained that if Gary was not present in the attic, then the aggressive evil force would have killed him. This would be the last time, quite understandably, that Jeff would ever enter the San Pedro home. It's like it's something grabbed that out of my hand. I'm not kidding, so it grabbed the whole thing out of my hand. Just now, just now, just now. It grabbed the whole thing out of my hand. Yeah. Okay. Back and forth up there. Yes. 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 Quiet, everyone. Shh, shh, quiet. 
We have complete video coverage of this event from the kitchen, as well as Gary's photographs of Jeff in the attic. Another good aspect that was captured was the conversations and interviews that were filmed straight after the event. We can actually hear the story being told by Gary and Wheatcraft, as well as the perspectives from the other individuals involved in the case. As the event progressed, and it seemed that things had gone past the peak of activity, Jackie's children were still outside. The youngest, Samantha, was all cosy in her carrier and was wide awake. During the course of the event, Jackie had checked on her several times, and in fact she had addressed the entities that occupied the home and stated quite categorically that... And I had even asked, or, you know, told it and demanded that it stay away from my children in no uncertain terms. In fact, that night, that same night in the bedroom, I said, just stay away from my kids. Sue was the first to notice that there was something wrong with Samantha. Nothing had disrupted her or even changed her temperament. It was something about her forehead. Sue was the first one to notice it. I had passed Samantha seconds before and nothing was on. She was fine. Then Sue passed and she noticed that there was a red mark on the baby's forehead. And she asked about it and that's when I, I noticed it. And it wasn't on seconds ago. And it was, it freaked me out because it came so close to my kids. The red mark was recorded by the cameras, but unfortunately it was rubbed off by Jackie before anyone could get any samples from it. Kern County, California The activity at the San Pedro home continued for several months and Jackie tried to live with it, but the overpowering smells and disembodied voices began to be too much. It was autumn time, and Jackie had had enough of living in that hellhole. The activity had finally got to her, so she decided to leave and patch things up with her ex-husband. She and her two children moved to a trailer park, Weldon, in Kern County, California. Jackie had started to feel better, and stated, After moving up into Weldon and settling into the trailer, I was still afraid of the nights, even though I knew in my own mind nothing was at the trailer. Because uh, as far as I was concerned, what I had experienced in that house in San Pedro, I had left in that house in San Pedro when I moved out. But unfortunately, things started to go awry, and the relationship started to fall apart once again. Al had left the family home, and Jackie was once again on her own, struggling to bring up her two children while studying. It was during this vulnerable stage in her life, with isolation from people due to her living in a remote part of California, that the phenomena had once again started. One of the most chilling incidents was when on April the 2nd, Janice and Jim Silcott, Jackie's neighbours, were helping Jackie to move a large screen television into a storage shed. All three of them had witnessed the ghostly image of an old man's face begin to materialise within the glass screen, and Jackie had further recounted that this face was the same visage as the old man that had appeared sitting on the bunk bed in the San Pedro home. 
The two neighbours stated that the old man had ugly, evil-looking eyes. For the rest of that night, Jackie could hear a pounding sound emanating from that storage shed. Jackie decided to get back in contact with the investigation team, as it looked like the phenomena had decided to follow her. April the 13th, 1990 Jeff and Barry decided that they were going to take the trek north and visit Jackie. Hopefully this time they would be able to capture the phenomena at work. Initially, Jeff was worried about going due to his experiences in the San Pedro home, but he was convinced by Barry. The pair arrived at Jackie's home on the 13th of April and had once again brought their assortment of ghost-detecting equipment and video cameras. It was stated that Jeff and Barry had witnessed strange dark shadows moving within the storage shed, but once again, Conrad's temperamental camera was not able to record these events. Due to the unreliability of the equipment, a seance was attempted. Some sources say that the seance was a pre-planned event, whereas others say it was a spontaneous event. Anyway, Jackie, Conrad and Wheatcraft were joined by one of Jackie's neighbours, and the seance began. The group were using a Ouija board to hopefully make a connection to the spirit, and slowly the entity began to move the planchette and answer their questions. From the scrawled transcript, it is possible to make out the following. Question. How long have you been trapped in the spirit world? Answer. Sixty years. Question. Did you die in the San Pedro house? No. Question. Where did you die? San Pedro Bay. Question. Did you drown? No. I was still under water. Question. Did you live in the San Pedro house? My murderer lived there. Barry asked the entity how many ghosts were present with them in the home and was given a spine-chilling answer. Phantoms fill the skies around you. During this exchange, it is said that all the windows were closed and yet... All the candles inexplicably blew themselves out, one by one. The table that the Ouija board was placed on was vibrating constantly throughout the exchange, as too did their chairs. The group battled through and asked the entity why it targeted Jackie. It simply stated the word, Energy. What kind of energy? The group shouted out and the board very plainly spelled out DEAD. 
The spirit also divulged some further details regarding his life before he transitioned to the other realm of existence. It appears that the board told the small group that he was murdered in San Pedro Bay in 1930 when he was 18 years old and that someone had held him under water until he drowned. Conrad wanted to know the answer to another burning question. And that was why did the entity attack Wheatcraft in the attic at San Pedro? Because he has the likeness of my killer, came the response from the board. The atmosphere in the room had become heavy, and the vibrating of the table and chairs had increased in its severity. Conrad asked another question. Whom in the room do you hate? Jeff, came the response. Things seemed to slowly wind down, and the tension in the room seemed to lift. The spirit even signed off by saying, I must go now. The sun cometh. Without warning, the chair and Jeff himself were lifted up into the air. The chair fell away from him as his arc of ascent increased. Jeff finally slammed against the upper part of the wall where it joins the ceiling. Jeff's body was limp and lifeless, and the rest of the participants feared the worst. After a few moments, Jeff regained consciousness. Jeff stated that he felt as if his entire diaphragm was being compressed right before the sensation of vertical lifting, and then the feeling of his head and back hitting the wall and ceiling. Conrad was disappointed that the video camera did not capture what had happened, as they had all malfunctioned at the same time. Herman Hendrickson and John Damon The events of the 13th of April left a deep psychological scar in Wheatcraft and the rest of the team. This was the second time he had been attacked and the entity had given his reasons. Both Conrad and Jackie decided to start digging through old newspapers and records in search of this 18-year-old who had been murdered at the San Pedro docks. What they came up with was a young seaman named Herman Hendrickson. Herman's body was found in 1930, floating in the harbour on March the 25th. Conrad discovered on reviewing the archives of the San Pedro newspapers of 1930 that the boy had a jagged wound on the top of his head that authorities determined was not the cause of death but in fact sustained when he fell off the dock. All these snippets of information seem to corroborate with the tale the Ouija board told, although Hendrickson was 10 years older than was written on the transcript. All this information seemed to echo back to the strange dream that Jackie had in the early days of San Pedro. Was she given an early indication of what was to come? Conrad had, months later, decided to analyse the piece of cord that was wound around Jeff's neck. He had already found that the knot looked like a fishing knot, in the early style by sailors. 
Not being an expert in these matters, Conrad sought the opinion of a specialist and showed the cord to a fisherman named Luke from San Pedro, who confirmed to him that the knot was indeed traditionally used by sailors who sailed aboard merchant ships. When they retraced the history of Jackie's former home, investigators discovered that many sailors had resided there because San Diego used to be a port city. With the first spirit identified, it was time to focus their attention on the second spirit, that of the old, evil-looking man. Finding records of this would be difficult, as they had no names or anything to go on. Jackie and the team would talk to older residents of the area, who had been there for a long time. It was learned that the bungalow was constructed by a gentleman by the name of John Damon, and by assumption, they believed that this is the apparition that showed itself to Jackie that night. Jackie believed that John Damon did visit her one last time while she visited the old San Pedro home. She said that she observed a ball of bright light that was visible in broad daylight, and she followed it until she came to an old cemetery. The ball of light seemed to hover over one particular grave before fading away into nothingness. The name on that grave was John Damon. After the haunting. Hernandez stayed in the Weldon trailer until the summer of 1990, when she moved back to San Pedro, this time living in a small apartment. It would take only a few days before things started to move of their own accord, and the strange disembodied voices could be heard once more. Jackie was even able to photograph some of the strange light phenomenon that she had experienced. Jeff Wheatcraft and Barry Comrade were soon to realise that the entity was able to manifest itself in their own home. In July 1990, the two of them started noticing that whenever they returned home, that things would be in disarray. Stove burners would be switched on and left running. Objects would be placed on top of the cooker burners when they were not on, and two pairs of scissors hidden under their pillows. The pair would often hear strange footsteps, luminous apparitions, and no end of camera problems every time they tried to capture the phenomena. On the evening of December the 4th, 1990, Jeff, Gary and Barry had returned from filming an event at about 1.30am when Gary noticed the empty Coke can in the hall. This can was not there when they left that evening, and once again the cooker burner had been switched on. During the night, Jeff had tried an experiment whereby he left an envelope and a pen so that hopefully the spirit would leave a message. Instead, the cooker burner was mysteriously turned on again and the envelope was burning within its flame. A bright, humanoid figure suddenly appeared and dived towards Jeff and Gary, who were standing near the corridor, near the living room. Then the light turned to the right and disappeared into the wall. By January 1991, the experiences with the paranormal became rarer. 
Jackie would have minor incidents until 1993, then it would stop completely. Luckily, Jackie's child Samantha was incredibly young when the incidents occurred and has no memory of these haunted years. Jamie, however, had claimed that he had been thrown against the wall and has some trouble sleeping alone. Barry Conrad would eventually go on to write the book An Unknown Encounter, a true account of the San Pedro haunting. He also produced and directed a documentary video of the haunting, which is where most of the audio samples come from in this episode. Jackie Hernandez spends her now spirit-free life as a grandmother in San Pedro, California. As for the haunted house in San Pedro, according to the owner, no tenant stayed there more than six months. As I stated at the beginning, the events that I have recounted to you are a bit of a shambles. Many reports omit certain details, and clearly some details are added in, way after the events. It is truly difficult to ascertain whether this really happened the way it has been presented, as there are many different, subtle and huge variances in this tale. If we are to assume that everything that occurred has been honestly recounted, then what does the suspiciously absent Dr. Taff make of all the experiences? Dr. Taff believes that due to the emotional problems that Jackie Hernandez was going through, that she had become a poltergeist agent. The attacks against Jeff Wheatcraft could possibly be the result of Hernandez's attraction towards another member of the investigation team, Barry Conrad. Wheatcraft was always present with Conrad, which Hernandez could have felt was impeding her efforts to get closer to him. Taff theorises that this provoked Hernandez into unknowingly releasing RSPK energy, recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis, in an attempt to get rid of Wheatcraft. Taff's theory could be very plausible, or it simply could all be a hoax that was even suspected by Dr. Taff, hence his absence in the rest of the investigation. Where is the report of the liquid samples that were gathered? Who did the analysing to ascertain it was human blood plasma? This case seems to create more questions than answers. That is why I like to look at it as a paranormal tale. We will never find the answers, so let's just appreciate the unfolding narrative and devise our own solutions. Links to our Facebook page and email address are in our bio, so feel free to get in touch tell us how we are doing, and even suggest future episodes that we can cover. Next week, we'll be looking at some of the ancient stories and artefacts that are believed to be connected with UFO sightings and alien contact. Thanks for listening.
My name is Richard Daniels. 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 And I am the archivist for the Occultaria of Albion. The Occultaria of Albion is a publication dedicated to exploring some of the strangest and most bizarre locations across the country, where hauntings, curses, cryptids and more have all been reported. I am now custodian of its archive and am gradually exploring many of the lost files in order to re-release them. You can find the case files which are now available at occultariaofalbion.com The Occultaria of Albion can also be found on YouTube and as a podcast. Go deeper and join the fan club for exclusive content. Go to patreon.com forward slash occultaria. Remain vigilant and remember the wolves of weird are loose.